Welcome to the Giants Huddle. Get him in the huddle, get him in the huddle, get him in the huddle. A New York Giants podcast. Hi everybody, I'm Paul Dottino and welcome to episode two of the Giants Huddle podcast. Today we sit down and talk to Giants legendary wide receiver Omani Toomer. I want to remind everybody the Giants Huddle can be found on Giants.com and all of your favorite podcast platforms and services, including iTunes and TuneIn. Now we welcome in the most prolific wide receiver in Giants history, Amani Toomer. Amani, always great to see you. Uh, Paul, I think you messed up. You got to say Ring of Honor because that's my biggest thing that, that I really... I really like that about being a, a career giant is that I'm in the ring of honor. So all that other stuff is good. It was good. It was a start. But we need to get the ring of honor in there a little bit earlier. And I shouldn't have to bring it up myself. I really shouldn't. Well, that was in 2010. You were the first <laughs> class member with that first class of the Giants Ring of Honor folks. Yes. Uh, here at, at, at that's my that's my biggest That's my biggest honor. Well, why, why don't we start there then? What is the first thing that came into your mind when you heard you were going to go into it? And then the night that they actually started putting the names up in the stadium, what what was passing through the thought process? Uh, I, I just really felt validated, you know, because, you know, I felt like I've been snubbed in the Pro Bowl a couple times and... You know, I felt like, you know, that I didn't, I didn't um, get a lot of outsider recognition as much as I got inside the the Giants organization, and so for the Giant organization to give me recognition, I thought that that kind of made up for a lot of the other stuff that that kind of bothered me throughout my career. Does it give you any kind of chills or hair on the back of your neck or something when you walk into the building and you see that your number and your name is actually there? within the stadium yeah it tells me that um you know to be remembered uh as a giant and to be a part of some of the you know the best teams and to have my name up there i, I just think it's important it's important to me that's my foreign my family my kids will be able to see me up there you know for for a long time um you know it's 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 a whole career that it really encompasses, and that's why one of the things that makes it special. Because things in sports are so, you know, instantaneous. That's more of a slow burn kind of award that not everybody can get. I've got you down as holding these key Giants records: career catches, mm-hmm. career receiving yards, mm-hmm. career touchdown receptions, mm-hmm. and 98 straight games with a catch. Mm-hmm. Those are all very, very significant marks. Mm-hmm. Which one of those are you most proud of? Are you most happy to have? I, I, you know what? Honestly, I I had a great time playing New York. I had a great experience playing in the NFL, even though it was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life for 13 years. But the memories that I have usurp any of this, the records. You know, I the records, I mean, they mean a little bit to me. I think they'll probably mean more to, like, my kids or my, my mm-hmm. wife or – my family, but to me, the, what's, the experiences way outweigh all this other stuff. All right, let me ask you this then, because you talk about the experiences. Most people think automatically that a Super Bowl championship has got to be the best experience of a guy's life. You were just talking about the Ring of Honor, though, as mm-hmm. we opened this thing up. Mm-hmm. Can you at all compare and contrast what it is to be a world champion as opposed yeah. to what it is to be inducted into a ring of honor uh-huh. by the people who you played for. Well, when you win a championship, I've been on a lot of um, a lot of teams. So some were better than that team, a lot were worse than that team. But there's a lot of luck involved in that, right? 
But when you get inducted into the Ring of Honor, it te- it doesn't just talk about one season that you had. It talked about your entire career, your approach, your everything to be in the Ring of Honor. It, it's much more than just a, a, a Super Bowl run or a, uh, or you know a great season or three or four great seasons. It talks about thirteen years of work that this organization decided was deemed worthy of putting uh, in their ring of honor. That's why it means more to me because it's such a it's more cumulative than just one single season. Right. Because the duration and the amount of time exactly. that that it, it exemplifies is a big deal. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. And especially the Giants as well. You know, I mean, they you know, the Ring of Honor being in um, you know, one of the flagship NFL teams and there's a difference. I mean, I don't, I don't think people who are outside of the NFL besides Giant fans when you're in the NFL, no matter where you are, uh, I remember my first experience with the Giants was they asked all the people at the Combine to go and take a test, right? And the Giants test was, I mean, it took 45 minutes. <laughs> and every other, every other test was like, oh, yeah, come in. We'll see how, you know, talk to you, whatever. We've heard about that test. <laughs> so it took 45 minutes. So we're taking the test. Half of the guys... Like, ah, forget this. I don't want to be on the Giants anyway. Oh, I don't want to. And just walking out of the meeting. And I'm just like, wow, this is the way they kind of weed people out, (laughs) you know, right off the bat. And so I took the test and the questions were really easy. I mean, some of them were like, have you seen a car? Um, Do you ever feel like hurting people or something? Like weird questions, but they were just (laughs) questions of mainly mainly just to make sure that that you're paying attention. Right. So I took the test and I'm like, wow, this is a little different. And, and every other team you go to, they always reference the Giants in a weird way. It was the, it was the weirdest thing. I don't know wh- how it happened, but it was like when I went to college, the same thing. I went to Notre Dame and they're always talking about, oh, Michigan this, Michigan that. Well, I want to go to Michigan, you know? <laughs> so then I go to... Uh, Good choice. And I, and I was even... I went to UCLA, same thing. They kept talking about Michigan. Or I went to Washington. They kept talking about Michigan. I'm gonna go to Michigan. You know, you know, went. I met with the people from Washington. They kept talking about New York. I went to the people, um, you know, Dallas. They kept talking about New York. So it was one of these things where the the, the team kind of really the interest in the team and me got elevated just because of the respect that they have amongst the NFL community. And I don't think people really understand how much respect the Giants have amongst the NFL community, as you know, in in, the, in that group of people. Tell me if you can the differences between what you were feeling at the combine when you were coming out of Michigan compared mm-hmm. to what you were feeling at your pro day as you were going through some of the drills and as you were getting interviewed by the different teams that were interested in you. Well, the combine was the most uncomfortable in athletics I've ever been in my life just because you walk around half naked all the time, you know, they're measuring weird things, you don't know what the measurements mean. And like half the time, I'm trying to figure out why they're asking me these questions instead of just ask, answering the questions. And this is one of the reasons why I don't think like, I don't know if I did very well on any of my personality things because I really wasn't answering what I thought. I was trying to outthink the testers and be like, you know, they'd ask me questions and I'm like, why? Not, not, not listening to what he was asking, but why would he be answering me, asking me this? Did you get coached up going into the combine? I didn't have any of that stuff. But they do that now. They, yeah, now. <laughs> I, I, I had no idea what I was getting into. None. Like, I got on a plane, and I'm like, well, I'm going to be in Indianapolis. 
Um, I don't know what they want from me. I know they want me to run a 40, but anything else, I, I know I'm going to have to jump vert, a vertical. I'm going to do some weird drills, catch some balls. I had no idea what, what to expect. And uh, I think, and, and it was, remember, there was a shroud of secrecy throughout the combines. It wasn't on TV. They didn't even allow agents. They didn't allow anybody who wasn't in, uh, involved in the NFL, even in the hotel. And then the, the stadium was empty. The only people that were in the stadium were, was the NFL personnel, the scouting mm -hmm. departments from the different teams in the league. So it was like you walked into a black hole and nobody, I mean, nobody had cell phones because there wasn't cell phones. Um, so you, you had no idea what was going on. I mean, you, so people would come out and it was almost like, you know, you, you know when you go off, a, get off a ride in, at one of the, the amusement parks and you're looking at people's faces trying to figure out what went on. That was what was <laughs> Did like. Did I do good? That was, that was what it was like when like people that went from in college came back from the combine. She's like, so what was it like? They'd be like, oh man, it was crazy. I, and that's kind of <laughs> so because because the pro day is geared to make the athletes more comfortable because they're in a more familiar setting. Well, you're, at your, you're at your own place. You're at your own place. So that you've made you through, feel better. You've been through the combine, so you're like, whatever. I've already put down a great time. I've already done all what I had to do. Let me just add on to what I can do. Now you're six three plus. You told me you did a four three at your pro day. Yeah. And I asked you if that was wind aided, and you looked at me. Wind aided. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think. Because of my running style, a lot of people thought I was slow for my career. Long strider. Exactly. I get it. Yeah. No, you don't get it. <laughs> well, let's transition. When you came into the NFL out of Michigan as a second-round pick in 96 with the Giants, you started out as a, a punt returner primarily. Mm -hmm. Yes. And actually ran back over your first three years, three punt returns for touchdowns yeah. before you wound up becoming a very big part of this receiving core. Yeah. Is that something, even though you return kicks at Michigan, mm -hmm. is that something that you envisioned yourself doing long-term? Or was it, hey, I'm just going to do whatever they want me to do when I get to the league, and then I'm eventually going to be a receiver? No, I wanted to be a receiver. Um, it's funny because I didn't get drafted, but I got, there was a guy who was a – who was work? He was an intern with the Giants when he went to intern, intern at um, Michigan, and he was getting his business degree. And after he got his business degree, he went straight to becoming the uh, assistant general manager of the Detroit Lions. So he was so as he was leaving, I was going through the draft. So he was kind of transitioning from college to pro. So I remember right after the combines, I went up to him and he was like, "Hey, man, you know, we would love to draft you, but..." We're looking for somebody that can return punts. And I'm like, well, I return punts. And like, he's like, yeah, you did. But so then, <laughs> so then when I got to the Giants, I didn't think, I didn't even think I was going to return punts. Like I, I didn't return punts or anything. I caught punts in practice, whatever. And I'm, I was always been good at that. But then like a week before, it was the last preseason game. And coach Joe D. Camillus, I'm sitting on the sideline. I got pulled out of my fourth quarter of the last game. Uh, of the preseason he's like yeah you know I had a pretty good preseason but get ready to return punts I'm like what he's like yeah you're gonna return your punts next week against the Buffalo Bills and I'm like what like, like I was like I had no idea I would be the starting punt returner for the Giants you were good at it though I was really good at it but I think because I didn't get a chance to think about it I, he just was like you're, you're gonna start and that's it 
and I was like, okay. And then I wasn't playing as a receiver, so I'm like, if I don't do punt return, I'm not going to be active. I'm going to be, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be active. I'm not going to be able to dress every game. So I was like, well, I, until I get better at receiver, I'll do this. See, I remember when when you blew out your your ACL as a rookie halfway through the season. Yeah. And then I remember you had the surgery and the sort of scar on your on your knee. Yeah. But you're sitting in your locker room on the east side of the Giants locker room. And then I remember when you came back. Yeah. They still had you returning punts. Yeah. You still did it some more. Yeah, yeah. Because I because st- because that's when the new coaching staff came in and they drafted. That would have been Jim Jim Fossil, Jim Fossil. in '97. And they drafted Ike Hillier. They had Chris Calloway on the receiving core at that time, too. Yeah, so Ike Hillier was number four overall in the draft. And so I was. So they were like, mm, I think we're going to start like, so I'm like, all right. <laughs> all right. So I, I didn't really play that much that year. And I, I didn't really do that well because I still was trying to transition. So basically, I was still a rookie trying to figure out the system. Uh, how Because at that time, NFL, and, and I guess it's the same way. The NFL and college are completely different, right, in terms of mm-hmm. – like in Michigan, if you like, you had to know the you didn't have to know the protections, because if the quarterback didn't point out in Michigan who you were hot off of, you just weren't hot. So in the NFL, it's like you got to know where the mic is because you know the mic, you know. Uh, then you go, then you got the, uh, the the will, and then the next person off is who you're hot off of. I mean, if you got to know that, the quarterback's not going to show you or tell you anything. So I would always miss sight adjusts which is what it's called a side adjust. Sure. Yeah, that's when the blitz comes. And I'd always miss those. And I didn't really know the plays that well. Because in college, you just rep, it, rep things out. You practice for so long, you just, you're going to get a rep at what you're doing. And if you don't know anything in college, there's a problem. But in the league, it's like you got to learn from the board because we don't have time to keep repping things out. So it took me a while to figure that out. Like, look, you have to pay attention in meetings. And you have to really understand how to learn by not even doing it. I want to go to a date here, November 16th. I had to look this up mm-hmm. because despite the fact that I've got a great memory for Giants football, there are some things that got through the cracks. Mm-hmm. Cardinals game. You catch your first touchdown pass yes. from Danny Cannell. Danny goes Cannell. for 56 yards. Yep. What do you remember about that? I remember like that whole offseason was just like I was just going after it. Like I, you know, the coach told me that I, I was uh, – I didn't know the plays. I went to Coach Fossil and I asked him why I didn't start. And he said, well, you don't know the plays, you're not in very good shape, and um, you, don't, uh, you don't get off the line of scrimmage well. So These like, are not good things. No, I was like, well, what else is there to be a receiver? That, that makes you a punt returner. <laughs> That's what that makes exactly. you. Exactly. <laughs> so I was like, you know what? I went That offseason, I was like, I'm doing everything I can. So I went and ran every day. No, not every day, but most days I ran. I ran a three-mile loop. And then I took uh, martial arts so I can learn how to, you know, use my hands well. And then I remember grabbing Ken Graham and pulling him in the office and being like, look, teach me everything I have to know about wide receiver. So I knew all the plays. I knew everything. I knew the protections. And so by that time, I was being to be more comfortable. But still, like, I didn't just, like, I got out on the, on the field and they didn't just, like, throw me out there, right? So um, I, started, I started practicing well, I started doing well, and then I could just start feeling my confidence come up. And then they put me in the game and threw me a ball, I caught it, and I ran a touchdown. It was one of those things you're just like, yes, I can do it. Yes, this, mm. is, this work is... Validation. This work is, is paying off, and my career is going to take off after this. I am on an upward project trajectory, and I can play in this league. I knew it. I just wanted to let everybody else know. 
You know what's funny about that, though? Because you get that first touchdown catch, but then it's not till two years later, on September 26th, with Kent Graham as the Giants' starting quarterback, you get your first 100-yard game against the Washington Redskins, five catches for 105, and it was actually Kerry Collins who came off the bench yeah. to throw you a 14-yarder in the fourth quarter that put you over 100. What was different about that as compared to the first touchdown, to, to reach the 100 plateau? Well, I, I, honestly, I don't really – I remember the game because we got blown out by like 50 – I think they, they scored 50 on us, and that was – so I didn't even really get the chance to celebrate, and I didn't even really remember until we, you know, until we did all our due diligence. But I remember that we got beat so bad that game, and they scored 50 on us, and that was the first time I ever saw the toss sweep. That's what I remember. The toss wow. sweep when you run, and they line up in bunch bunch formation, mm-hmm. and the number one, which is you know usually the Y, he cracks down. Number two, which is usually the, the, the X, he'll, he cracks down as well. And then the inside guy in the bunch uh, leads out the, uh, the running back in the toss sweep. And that, I remember, it was, yeah, it was, I, I just remember being very embarrassed after that day. Wow. It's, I didn't remember getting 100 yards, but I remember the toss sweep and I remember getting, <laughs> getting blown out. See, the negative sticks with you longer than the positive. It really does. It really does. Uh, I want to go back to a, a game in in, in uh, '98 when the Broncos came into Giant Stadium 13 and 0. Yes, and for me, it's not a game that a lot of folks remember because the Giants did not do well that season. Forgettable to many people. Yeah. but for me, it was remembering you running down the south sideline in front of the Broncos bench mm-hmm. with under a minute to go mm-hmm. to catch a bomb from Kent Graham mm-hmm. that ruined the Broncos' bid for an undefeated season Absolutely. as they were trying to chase the 72 Dolphins. Mm-hmm. That, to me, was a very big Amani Toomer moment. Yes, because that, uh, that was later on in that same year when I was getting some playing time, but it was starting to be evident that I was, I, I was going to be getting I should have been getting more playing time that I should have been out there more often and I remember after that year uh working out in the bubble and Jimmy Robinson coming up to me saying yeah you know we probably should have started you that year but you know we had other reasons that that eats me up to this day but I remember that uh I was the punt returner we had just lost the lead to the Broncos, and we beat, we were beating them the entire game. And they punted me the ball on the drive that this that started our, our the, the the last drive, and I and I muffed it, mm-hmm. and and then I picked it up, and I ran backwards to try and get around the edge. So as I'm running backwards, I'm losing yards, right? And then I get tackled and I lose like, I can't remember how many yards I lost, but I remember losing yards. And I remember being like so embarrassed, like, oh man, I messed up the game. And then I remember Roman Oban, who was my roommate for the majority of my time. I remember walking, like him in the offense, running onto the field, you know, transitioning from offense to from punt return offense. And I go, Roman, what's the personnel grouping? Which, who do we have? What, what, what's going on? <laughs> and I remember Roman looking at me and just turning his head and just walking on the field like you screwed this up I don't I don't want to pay any attention to you and like give me the cold shoulder and I'm like whoa this is serious my boy Roman he didn't even say anything to me like I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out if I'm going to get off the field or come on and come on the field of course it was um 
I guess 10 personnel, I guess it was four receivers mm-hmm. and one running back. But, man, I remember him giving me the cold shoulder. And I'm like, man, I got to do something because this is – I can't ruin this entire game. That pass may have been the most important and greatest pass that Kent Graham ever threw because it was right on you. Yeah, yeah. No, I remember it was, it was, it was kind of like a – it was an underthrown ball, right? So I ran by the guy. I can't remember his name. Was, Tito Paul. Tito Paul. was an Ohio State guy. I remember yep. that. And the ball was of course, under, Ohio State. You would remember it was a it was an underthrown ball, and the ball was inside. Mm-hmm. But Tito Paul was so interested in me, and he thought I was going to beat him over the top, that he overran it. Mm-hmm. I stopped, came back underneath, and it made the catch, and and I got both feet down. And then I remember I just I just knew I was in, so I got up and I started celebrating. Right, and then one referee is like. He's like, no, it's incomplete. And then the other referee has his hands up behind me. I didn't even care because I knew I was in. So I was just jumping around. I was going nuts. And, um, you know, they finally, this is before they had a replay too. So the yes. referees had to get together and, and come up with the right call right there on the spot. They could have very easily said, nope, it wasn't it. And there was no replay. There was no replay, NFL replay. So anyway. And then that was kind of like another one of those things where I was like, look, this is, I'm going to be good in this league. I don't know if I'll be on the Giants because my contract was up at the time. I hoped I was going to be on the Giants, but I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to hit the bank this year. You know what I mean? Like this is, this is, this is looking, all things are pointing to me being an NFL receiver, a full-time starter uh, sooner than later. I want to take you to the 2000 season for a second because you guys go to the Super Bowl mm-hmm. with a dominating 41 nothing win over Minnesota mm-hmm. in the most lopsided uh, conference championship game the NFL has ever seen. Mm-hmm. Kerry Collins throws five touchdown passes, mm-hmm. over 380 yards. The euphoria at Giant Stadium on that field of mud, as Wellington Mara called it, mm-hmm was truly remarkable, and it was one of the most explosive events that's ever happened in that building. I remember being in the tunnel, and I didn't know. We were just so focused on playing. We didn't know about it. I didn't know about anything, right? And then I remember looking out, and I remember seeing all the whole crowd with those white, like, towels, and they were spinning them in the air. And then I looked out, and there was LT with his, like, shirt off. (laughs) Like, I don't know. I don't know what he was doing, but I'm like, that's LT, you know, and all the other giants were like going crazy. And I'm like, this is a big deal. They got LT looking crazy. They got the towels. I said, this is going to be great. And I had got hurt the week before. I hurt my ankle and my knee. And I remember, I remember uh, Coach um, uh, Sean Payton. I'm mm-hmm. sitting on the train table and Sean Payton's like, man, Monty, are you going to be ready this week? I'm like, I don't know, Coach. He's like, because this secondary is the worst I have ever seen. He's like, we are going to put the ball up in the air. You better be ready. So then I remember thinking, I go over, I, I get off the table. I'm like, coach, I think I'll be ready. And I start jumping on my leg. And I start jumping up and down on one leg. I'll be ready, coach. I'll be ready. <laughs> Thank goodness for that because that was, that was an incredible, yeah. not only offensive showing, but the shutout yeah. at that time what was considered one of the Chris most Carter. incredible offenses ever? Chris Carter, Randy Moss, uh, who else was who's the quarterback? Cunningham. Randy Cunningham. 
Right. They had Robert Smith in the backfield. That was the last year with, and ever since they lost Robert Smith, they lost a lot. I mean, he was a phenomenal player that is way underrated in that whole system because the running threat really made Moss and Carter more viable mm-hmm. options. Let, let let's go now. Years later, you get the second ACL injury. This time. Uh, again, you have to go have surgery, and mm-hmm. people are saying, well, I don't know about Amani if he's going to be able to come back from this one, but you do it again. Mm-hmm. And, of course, a year later in 2007, the Giants go to the Super Bowl mm-hmm. and win it. Great postseason run, but I'm going to ask you about one thing in particular. The week leading into that game in Arizona, Plexico Burris's knee blows up. Ugh. And you obviously know about it. The media really doesn't know much about what's going on. But you guys inside know. I didn't know what happened. All well, that's I know what is, I want to ask you about. Okay. Because what what exactly was going through your mind? What did you know? What didn't you know? Because if Plexico's not in the lineup, that's a big deal. That's a really big deal. That's a really big deal. Um, I didn't know why, how he got hurt. I just knew that he was hurt. And he hurt himself Tuesday, right? On the player's day off. I don't know what happened. I don't know why. I don't know the stories that he slipped in the bathtub. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> that's all I'll say. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. But I just remember seeing him at practice, and he was like hobbling. I'm like, you gonna be all right? He's like, yeah, I'll be fine. So I just took him for his word. He says he's gonna be fine. He's gonna be fine. He didn't practice all week, but he didn't practice the entire season because he had a bad ankle. So right. I wasn't really. It wasn't anything different. Uh, I, and I remember Dave Tyree because they put Dave Tyree in his spot because they figured he'd come back and if they moved me or moved anybody else over to his spot, it would kind of mess up the whole flow of things. So what, basically what they did was they just left everybody else to where they were supposed to be, me and Boss, were, you know, were, and then put Dave Tyree in as the X because I played Z at the time. And so you know, we went through a practice, everything was fine. And then Friday, which is the day where everything has to be tip-top, this is our last practice. Dave Tyree proceeded to let the ball just beat the hell out of him. I mean, he dropped everything. I mean, it was like, we. I just kept thinking, man, Plexico better come back because this dude is cutting board hands, man. He is killing the game right now. <laughs> He's making everything. And this, the whole team was like, God dang, Dave. <laughs> we tried to pass him a cup of water, he'd drop it. I mean, it was crazy. And, um, but so, uh, so, so I was just, I just, I just knew that he was going to come back for the game. He had to, cause there was no way we would be able to compete. So everybody's just thinking, oh, well, Dave's just taking, you know. Now but, the, the way he tells the story is it was literally hours before the game. He's talking to Ronnie Barnes in the trainer's room and they're still not a hundred percent sure that he's coming back into into play yeah, again. Yeah, that's probably good that he didn't let everybody else know. And and then, you know, it's decided that, you know what, he can go. How much, I mean, is that a Willis Reed, Knicks kind of moment? And I know you're not that old, but you know the story about when Willis Reed comes out, Game 7, 1970 NBA Finals against the Lakers. Did they win? Nobody think, yeah, nobody thinks he can play, but he comes out and the inspiration picks up the whole team. Mm-hmm. Was there a Burris type moment like that for you guys that no. when you actually saw him come out onto the field? No, because we knew we, we thought he was going to play anyway. You like, always did. We always thought he was going to play. I, I always thought he was going to play. Mm-hmm. So I never really thought, I never thought anything of it. So it's a good thing that we didn't know. And a good thing that, you know, Dave 
wasn't going to have to play. But then Dave goes out and has one of the best Super Bowl catches in, in, in Super Bowl history, and he has a touchdown. Listen to David's career, right? He has a memor- He has a touchdown in the Super Bowl, right? He played in a Pro Bowl, right? He has one of the best Super Bowl catches of all time. No, the best. Okay, yeah, the best. I agree with you, the best. That's amazing. There's a lot of guys with gold jackets that don't have careers like that. They don't have all those three boxes checked off. Not to take anything away from David, because he was a phenomenal player, but wow, unbelievable. Yeah. So now I remember the rig ceremony, and uh, it was at Tiffany's in New York, Mm -hmm. and you and Michael Strahan Mm -hmm. get your rings, as Mm -hmm. everybody else does, and Mm -hmm. the questions are coming about, hey, is this it? Is Amani Toomer going to come back for another year? Is Michael Strahan going to come back for another year? As it turned out, your only other football experience was a short time in training camp with the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, well, I played the next year. We played the next year, yeah. but yeah. shortly after that, that's yeah. all there was. And and I wonder if in retrospect, as we started this conversation, and it's kind of how I want to wrap it up, mm-hmm. how important was it really for you to have not only been a giant your whole career, but have been able to take the full circle, go to a Super Bowl, then get to win a Super Bowl, and and then wind up being a Ring of Honor guy. Was there anything left undone? Um, undone. I felt like I personally could have been different circumstances, different situations. I could have had, I could have, I think I could have done more, you know, as a receiver, personally. But in terms of what the group did and how we, um, you know, beat the Patriots and had that run and, you know, that was one of the most satisfying things of, of my career, just being able to do it. Because I've always wanted to do it on the road four times, and you know, winning four road games. The Road Warriors. I wanted, I, I liked that. That was something that, you know, deep down I always wanted to do. Um, but I felt like there were times in my career where I was at, it was more in my prime where we just weren't a very good team. And there was things that just that held me personally back, but other than you know, other than a little bit of uh, you know selfishness, I could say there's nothing I could have. I felt that everything, I, I, the, the being uh, inducted into the Ring of Honor, kind of quelled a lot of that stuff. Because no matter how many more statistics I got, I think that's one of the the best things because it's the organization that I came up through. It's every, they know everything about me. I've been there for 13 years. Everything about, you know, my approach to the game had been validated um, by people that are more important than writers that don't even know me. That is so cool. Fame. That is so cool. Yeah. Because you're right. It's it's about the respect that people who know most about you have thrown your way. Exactly. And I, I've often said to people that I think if a organization puts you in a ring of honor or retires your jersey, I could understand why that's more meaningful. Are they going to retire my jersey? Thing. I'd like to try to, <laughs> but I don't know that I don't know that they're going to do it. No, I don't think they do. That's all right. That's okay. Amani Toomer, thank you so much for your time. Thanks this for has been me. a tremendous amount of fun as we go down memory lane. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That is Giants legend and Ring of Honor inductee, Amani Toomer. Thanks, folks, for listening to us. We want to remind everybody that the Giants Huddle can be found on Giants.com and all your favorite podcast platforms and services, including iTunes and TuneIn. 
Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week on another episode of the Giants Huddle. So long, everybody.